Welcome back to Small Town Missing. I'm Thomas. I'm Will. And I'm Rhonda. And thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Our numbers are growing. We're getting more and more interesting episodes. We're getting suggestions. We are. And I'm I'm enjoying that. That's what I like is people throwing things at us for us to pick up and go with. Yeah, we're finally at that stage where we have people wanting us to talk about stuff. We never yeah. had that with the other one, I feel like. No. Yeah, I've got two murders on my list that's, that two people have sent me that I need to research for a podcast. Heck okay. yes. Rhonda, I'm telling you, Rhonda always does really good research. She has like, I don't know, I, I always read your scripts, Rhonda, and I'm like, gosh, they're so good in, in comparison to the ones I have to give you so eloquent. Oh, I don't. I, you're so good, Will. I mean, I, re, I really enjoy your script. Well, you do a good you. job, Rondo. You're like we're basically family at this point. You, you have to say that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Y'all should have heard us, by the way, before this podcast started. Us just talking about like Thomas had a story <laughs> that I was like, on. I was like, oh my gosh, we have another episode that we could yeah, do this on. Yeah, I, I was convinced too. I know. I said uh, we probably can't get into too much detail, but well, I was I'll, like, I'll tell some of it. Oh, okay, uh, do it. Do I, it. I was at work. I was standing in the office and. My my boss's boss comes in, and she walks up to me. She goes, I just pulled this up. <laughs> and she starts reading this news story about local P, a local P- PD investigation. Or not really an investigation. It was just a stop and yeah. search. But uh, apparently this dude had gotten on a bus. Uh, some kind of odor was coming off him. He had a book bag. And uh, the odor got so bad that the passengers on the bus alerted the driver oh, who then flagged down two cops the, they got on the bus started searching they searched him and uh the story goes uh the bag got unzipped and open apparently one of the cops almost fainted uh <laughs> by the smell and uh inside the bag were two heads <gasps> one a garlic and one onion <laughs> She got to the end of it. She, she goes, got. Uh, she got to the garlic and the onion, and her and I both. Did, we had we had some words that I am not going to share on oh, on a podcast. This is but, the definition of clickbait. What are they talking and about? I I was cussing. Cause I was I was wrapped up. Me too. Because the headline was two heads found by local PD on a bus. That's crazy. I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, they didn't lie though. They didn't lie. I was just like, how. How did it fool both of us? I, Elizabeth, well, that's a good story. Whoever wrote that knows exactly oh, how, yeah, to, how did, to get perfect, clicks, but, for sure. But, I'm just trying to figure out how a clove of garlic or a head of garlic and, a, and an onion could smell like decomposing well, bodies. Well, nothing ever said that it smelled like decomposing bodies. It was just that it was a strong odor of some kind. Where are you said that strong was alerting odors. the passenger or bothering the passengers, so they alerted the driver who alerted the cops. <sighs> okay. Gotcha. So it's never said anything about dead body. <laughs> Now, you what I'm that. thinking is they they smelled something really strong and nasty and thought it was illegal substance. But, oh, okay, uh, I could see that. But the headline said two heads, so I wasn't even thinking That's that way a good until after story. That. that is a good but story. It, it caught me off guard. I was so excited. I was like, Rhonda, let's investigate. We could, you know, open up a whole thing about it, you know? <laughs> but no, it, it really got me. I uh, That got me too. I think I, I it got me so well that I just I stood there and did a slow clap. That is so just, good. Just for her. I was just shaking my head doing a slow clap, and she's she's laughing. She's like, I I don't have words. No, say, what would you say at that point? You know, that was <laughs> but, a good story though. You yes. had me on the edge of my seat right right before we recorded. Yeah, but all right, you ready? I'm ready. Well, let's get started. Okay, and talking about scripts, this is one that Will wrote. They're like I they think. tune out. They're like, ugh. 
As always, you do a good job. Thank you, Ron. No, it's not your scripts I don't like. It's your voice. True. I hate my own voice. I mean, get in line. I mean, I I hate my voice, too. There's no denying that. I think we sound great. Or uh-huh. I think that we sound amazing. I hate, I hate my voice. <laughs> Y'all got good voices. It's like nails on chalkboard. No. Everyone's just a critic. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. <laughs> She's like, let me get the story. <laughs> okay. Today, we're discussing the disappearance of candy heiress Helen Brack? Yeah, so I, I thought it was Brock, and then I saw on Charlie Project, which has this archived as well, that it's pronounced like Brack. So I'm going to go with like like Brack from what, Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, or whatever. I, I think that's how like uh-huh. it, it's pronounced. But um, yes, I think it's Helen Brack. Okay, see, I always thought it was Brock. Me too. Brock Candy, that's what I always heard. Okay, but we'll, we'll do the Brack. We'll do that's whatever. that's probably the more correct pronunciation, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so Helen was a millionaire who inherited her fortune after she married E.J. Brack, sorry, <laughs> and Sons Candy Company. Her disappearance has never been officially solved, although law officials think that the answer to this decades-old case has been right in front of them for nearly 50 years. Yes. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy, too? Because I was like, I, from what I reviewed and everything, too, I feel like, like you'll kind of come to see that I think there's enough it's a lot of circumstantial evidence, which is why I'm sure it wasn't ever, no one was ever, you know, prosecuted for it. But it seems pretty open and shut to me, but okay. just to me. All right. Well, Helen Brack was born November 10th, 1911 in Unionport, Ohio on a small farm. Her early life sounds pretty picturesque as Helen married her high school sweetheart in 1928, but the couple were divorced by the time Helen had turned 21. After moving to Palm Beach, Florida, however, luck changed for Helen as she met and eventually married Frank Brack, the heir of E.J. Brack and Sons company, uh, Candy Company. I think, Rhonda, I'm, your husband has to be some secret millionaire. I, I, I don't know what he, he, his uh, business is, but I, I think y'all are holding out on me. Uh, if he is, I wish I knew about it. <laughs> it's quite, he's keeping Same. it very tight-lipped. <laughs> uh, she had met Brack while working at a country club in the area. The couple eventually built their home in Fisher Island or on Fisher Island, Florida. They also purchased other properties nearer to the family candy company in Chicago, Illinois. Mm -hmm. Uh, Frank eventually died in 1970, leaving Helen millions of dollars for her various philanthropic escapades. Listen, and she it, it sounds as if this woman was a character, to say the least, for sure. Do you have any stories or? So, from what I gathered, and we'll kind of mention a little bit of it, like she, her big thing was like animal rights and everything. Like it was like, oh, you know, the fair treatment of animals, animal rights, all that kind of stuff. Like she loved that and was very passionate about it. I think she had even like a corporate, like a, some kind of um, charity that was open, like in her name with dealing with animals' rights. But the funny thing was, or the ironic thing was, was that she would wear fur coats and like, oh no. <laughs> and so I'm like, wow. So I don't know. I Listen, I, I, I get Talk about you know, tone deaf. It, well, you know, it was the, what, 70s, I guess. Yeah, I mean, probably, I mean, uh, yeah, a little easier back then. Yeah, definitely back then, people were not as aware of animal cruelty, yeah. you know, and what happens to make a fur coat. And, yeah, and I don't yeah. know if it was like, you know, what kind of animals it was, like if it was a, like a cat and dogs. I, I feel like I've heard cat and dog type of thing before if it was like more tropical animals i don't know cruella i know cruella. it was what is, oh, i know wow. i don't think she was wearing any dalmatians or anything but who's to say i don't know i, I, I never saw a picture of her with the, those fur coats gotcha okay now we'll talk about a little bit about the candy company that helen married into mm-hmm. ej brock and sons candy company was founded in 1904 and according to an article by philip jett on criminal 
criminalelement.com. Yeah, sorry. It's all one word. Sorry. The uh, company itself sold for two-thirds of the sold, wow, two-thirds of the bagged candy in the United States. Isn't that crazy? That's significant. I don't, you know, I'm sure it probably, I'm sure Hershey probably has them beat by now, but I mean, back then, that's a lot of, a lot of product to sell. Okay. Now, I don't know if you guys recall this, and I think it was around during your time, but you would go to the grocery store and, you know, near the oh, check. Uh, yes, where they had the like the little bins, yes. and you could fill your, you know, like the little yep. star-shaped chocolates. You could I put, do fill the that. bag, and that was Brack candy. Was that Brack candy? What? I didn't know that. It was when I was growing up. That's yes. so cool. It had peppermints and chocolates, and you know, there would be like six to eight bins of different things. And yeah, you'd fill the bag and pay for, I guess, by the pound or whatever. Yes, yes, that that's was, crazy. That I, was we had Brack candy. I never thought for for some reason the only thing I can really picture with Bracks is pepper or uh, or uh, what's it called uh, candy corn. Like that's what I always think about when I think of Bracks candy. I think I've gotten Bracks candy corn in like the last like little bit too. They have apparently one that I saw on another podcast where they were reviewing it. It was Brax candy corn, but it was a uh, Thanksgiving flavored. So you had like, oh, it's a gravy flavored. <laughs> like, I. I already don't like candy corn. Yeah, you're so not a candy corn person. That just made it even worse. Oh, I know. It's like turkey. <laughs> it's, like they, it's like they made the worst candy ruin Thanksgiving. Oh, it's like something that would be sold at like what, Spencer's, like a gag gift type of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. But that is very cool, Rhonda. I did not know that was Brax candy back yeah, then. it was back then. Okay, and besides that, you know, two-thirds of the bag candy in the United States, it was also the largest candy. It was also the largest candy manufacturing plant in the world. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Frank, who had assumed ownership of the company after its founder, Emil J. Brack, had passed. He sold the company to the American Home Products Corporation for $136 million. And today's money, that would be roughly $1.1 billion. After this, Frank retired with Helen until his death in 1970. After Frank's death, Helen was left with nearly $160 million. To fill her time, Helen became a socialite and gave to causes that mattered to her. Her biggest interest or cause was dealing with animal rights and welfare, even though I think I've seen more sources that say Helen owned several for fur coats. <laughs> and that's what we were just talking Listen, about. Listen, as, as you should, well, I don't know. I mean, if y'all like animals, I'm, I guess you could like animals, but love to wear them too. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, back in the 70s. And it was more. It you was know, and she's also commonplace. Yeah, she's rich. Like, I mean, I just think of rich women wearing, like, fur coats. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And she did all this while driving around in her pink and lavender Cadillacs and Rolls Royces, which were all colored particularly to match Brax Candy Company colors. I, that's Wow, cool. that is neat. Thomas, would you ever do that? Like, would you have, like, a if you were representing Brax Candy Company? If I was representing my company, yeah, maybe. I think Depends of, like, the, the colors. Yeah, what, what, if, like, what is, like, the Marie, uh, that, that makeup, like, you used to drive in, like, the pink? Mm. I forgot. I forgot Mary that Claire? Name. Mary Claire, maybe. I forgot. It's one of those, you know, no, corporations uh, where they always make the uh, people. Mary Kay. Mary yes. Kay, that's yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the high earners had like a pink Cadillac to, to show how to well they were that, doing. Yeah, that's a little gaudy. I don't know. I don't like well, that. Well, I mean, our colors for Small Town Missing are purple and silver. So that'd be cool. Like, I feel like that'd be cool. I don't dark, know. The, a dark purple. I don't know what kind of vehicle it'd be. I don't know. I said, listen. Dark purple with silver trim? I'd wear a, a minivan at this point if it got us like, you know, extra money and stuff. I don't care. I mean, <laughs> you ain't wrong. <laughs> Wow, we're getting pretty commercial with this. We are, I'm telling you. Okay, in 1973, three years after her husband's death, Helen was introduced to a man named Richard Bailey at a dinner party. The two must have hit it off because Bailey 
began to shower Helen with attention and gifts. Now, Helen was smitten with Bailey, and the fact that he was 20 years her junior probably added to the romance. Yeah, a little bit. You know, I I think that that was probably exciting for her, especially after she lost her husband. Probably. Okay, so Helen and Bailey begin to appear regularly in Helen's social circles. Bailey and his friends even referred to Helen as the Candy Lady. Despite this whirlwind, whirlwind romance, sorry, Bailey began to take advantage of Helen and her massive fortune. In 1975, Bailey bought three, quote, run-down racehorses for $18,000 and resold those horses to Helen for $98,000 in return. (laughs) In today's money, that would be nearly half a million dollars. Oh, my goodness. And she's just throwing that around, you know? Yeah, yeah. After attempting to pull the same stunt one year later, Helen became suspicious and hired an independent appraiser. The appraiser confirmed Helen's fears and essentially found that the horses were worthless. After discovering this ploy, Helen was urged to go to the local district attorney, but she never got the chance. Mm -mm. Sounds ominous. It does sound ominous. You'll see. On February 17, 1977, Helen went for a checkup at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. After completing her business at the clinic, Helen checked out and stopped at the clinic's buckshop stop to buy some cosmetics. After telling the cashier to hurry and finish wrapping the makeup, Helen stated that she was going to meet her houseman and that he was waiting for her. The man she was referring to was John Jack Matlock, Jack being his mm-hmm. nickname, mm-hmm. who a man who had been hired by Frank in 1959 as chauffeur and handyman of the Brack Estate in Glenview, Illinois. Matlock essentially stated he had picked Helen up from the airport on the 17th, drove her home, and dropped her off at O'Hare Airport the following Monday so she could drive to her new condo in she could travel to her new condo in Fort Lauderdale. Her disappearance, however, wasn't reported by Matlick for two weeks after her last sighting. Mm-hmm. That's so sketchy, too, you know, especially because, like, he would have known if something was awry with that. I would think so. If he was her chauffeur? Exactly. I would agree. Bailey, Helen's paramour, told the police that he was expecting Helen on Monday, February 21st, but suspected she had left him after he never saw her arrive. He had allegedly inquired about Helen's whereabouts to Matlick, but Matlick just stated that she wasn't in at the time he called. Yeah, so like, he's just not giving any answers, and I mean, I think Helen's friends had called, you know, and all that, and he just basically gives the same version. It's like, oh, nope, she's gone. Like, I don't know where she is. Okay, but this guy, Matlick, has been with the family for almost 20 years. Yeah, he's been there a long time, so I mean, like, it's it's not as if this is like a new relationship and everything. Like, I mean, he, he would probably know a lot about Helen and her schedule and stuff like that, too, and I mean... Uh, you'll kind of come find out. I mean, some of the things that he says and like some of the evidence that they find against him, it's pretty convincing, in my opinion, to make him look like a, a primary suspect in her disappearance. Okay. Now, weirdly enough, the leads of this case dried up pretty quickly. Helen's closest living relative was living in Ohio and didn't press for answers. Eventually, Helen was declared legally dead in 1984, and it appears of his, as if her wealth was split between friends, relatives, and charities, Mm -hmm. according to the article by Philip Jett, moved on much wealthier than before. Yeah, they just all moved on. They all just, like, apparently from that one, like, you know, uh, they just kind of stated that, yeah, like, Helen was gone. Everyone kind of just moved on a little bit richer than they were, you know, before this. So, I don't know. That's a little weird. Uh, Yeah, that is a little harsh. Uh, Several theories exist on Helen's disappearance. Okay, many think Jack Matlick was the killer of Helen Brack. After allegedly picking her up from the airport, Matlick stated that Helen stayed at her Glenview home for three days and four nights, 
Many of Helen's friends dispute this claim because Helen never called them after arriving home. Yeah. Which was unusual for her. Yeah. I mean, that's what you do. Like, um, especially a socialite like her, like she would probably just call her friends. Yeah. You would think she had a lot on her calendar. Exactly. I mean, that's four days. I mean, I don't think she would be a shut in necessarily for those four days. No, I wouldn't think so either. Their calls to Helen were always answered by Matlick, who stated that Helen wasn't at home at all. According to Helen's page on Charlie Project, the fact that Matlick appeared to have stayed at Helen's estate for those few days was also odd, and he had allegedly told his wife that he had work to do on the estate. Yeah, so mm. like, I mean, and and, the, and you'll come to find out too, I mean, there's other people there too that didn't see Helen, you know? It's, it's just weird, like, why wouldn't she be there, especially if he said that? Yeah, normally Matlick would stay at a house owned by Helen in Schaumburg, Illinois. Painters, even working on the estate, never saw Helen during those days as well. Matlick had told investigators that he had dropped Helen off at the airport the following Monday as she was going to fly to Fort Lauderdale at 6 a.m. The earliest flight that day to Fort Lauderdale was at 9 a.m. Yes. Okay. However, and Helen hated early mornings. Yeah, so she's, she's like not me. a morning person. Exactly. A woman after my own heart. I hate yeah. early mornings, too. No one on the flight to Fort Lauderdale saw anyone matching Helen's description on the plane. Officials couldn't discover any ticket purchased by Helen for the trip as well. Perhaps most incriminating of all was that Helen's gardener allegedly saw Matlick with two strangers in Helen's home that weekend. Mm-hmm. One was apparently a woman in a baggy dress and wig similar to Helen's cut and style. Yeah, it makes me wonder, like, would he have just had someone there looking like her just to make people think that she was home? Like, I don't know. That's kind of odd. Uh, you know, possibly if you had something like this planned. Yeah, know, why not? for a while. Who knows? Uh, after investigating Matlick a little more, Police officials also discovered a receipt for a toll exit located near an Ohio farm purchased by Helen. Mm-hmm. So is that is that the farm that she grew up on or just something in so that I area? I think it's a, I don't necessarily know if that's the farm that she grew up on. I don't believe so, but I mean, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. I could probably Google that. Yeah, the date was, re- the receipt was dated the same day Helen was to leave for Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, so like, why would he go to that farm well, there would be no reason, you know, especially because, like, he allegedly just dropped her off at the airport. So. And he said he had stuff to do on her estate, yeah, not so, at the farm. So everyone's thinking, like, hey, like, maybe he took her and buried her on that farm. Mm. Matlick's wife also gave additional details that incriminated Matlick. She stated that Matlick had arranged for a carpet replacement in one of the rooms in Helen's home. Mm-hmm. Besides this, two rooms were also repainted. Mm-hmm. The pink Cadillac that he had been driving was cleaned, waxed, and shampooed as well. I don't know, y'all. He's sounding pretty good. But Thomas, what do you think? What do you think? Does he sound like a good suspect? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think <laughs> there's a my, lot of, He'd be my prime suspect. Yeah, she's got a lot of shady guys in her life. I'm telling you, these are all kind of shady to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Matlick also forged more than $13,000 in checks from Helen's account and stole nearly $75,000 in currency from her home. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite all the circumstantial evidence against him, he was never formally charged or arrested and died in 2011. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I mean, at that point, too, I mean, they don't have, like, Helen's body, like, spoiler alert, I think y'all know where this is going, has really never been found. So, I mean, who's to say, like, they, they could just say, oh, it's a no-body case. We can't really persecute anybody because we don't know if she died yet, you know? And we okay. can't find any, like, physical evidence at the home or anything like that. Okay, so she disappeared in 1977, and he died in 2011. Yeah. So wow. he lived a lot, like, no matter what, even if he would have been, like, prosecuted for something, like, he lived a long life without ever seeing any kind of, like, you know, justice. And allegedly, I don't know if he did it. This is just allegedly, like, we're speculating on this. He just seems kind of fishy to me. 
Yeah, yeah, and taking advantage of her being gone to steal things out of the house, too. Yeah, and I mean, she's like, you know, he's already getting money from her, too. So that's just kind of like one of those things that, I don't know, it just strikes me a little bit, just kind of reviewing some of the case info. Yeah. Another suspect in Helen's disappearance is Richard Bailey. Of course. Uh, the the boyfriend or paramour. The paramour. After Helen's disappearance, Bailey continued his horse swindling scheme on several other wealthy women. Mm-hmm. After reopening the Brack case in 1989... Bailey was eventually indicted with 29 charges of racketeering, mail, and wire fraud, and money laundering under the federal RICO statute. Mm-hmm. He was also charged with conspiracy to murder Helen Brack. Yeah, so like, I mean, I guess both of them would have potentially had some kind of like, um, you know, monetary gain to gain from this, like maybe her being gone. But with him, I guess it was just more they had actual evidence of it because there was all of these money laundering schemes, especially with the horses. Yeah. Yeah. Helen found out about his horse swindling and was planning to go to the DA about the time of her checkup at the Mayo Clinic. So did Bailey get to her before then? After all of these inquiries from police officials, Bailey waived a jury t- trial and pleaded guilty to racketeering and fraud but he always maintained his innocence towards Helen's disappearance. Mm -hmm. One notorious con artist named Joe Plemons did come forward to say he had been offered $5,000 by Richard Bailey to kill Helen weeks before she disappeared. Mm -hmm. But this has never been officially corroborated. Yeah, I mean, also, too, like, you know, you would think if he was the one, which I I don't know, I guess he's just saying that he was offered. I guess he's he's not specifically saying he did it, you know, but it is weird. I mean, I don't know. I, I wonder if he had a personal vendetta against him or something like that, too. I don't know. Yeah, that is kind of odd because, you know, if he did it, then he could definitely say, well, this is how it happened. Yeah. Here's some evidence and here's where she's buried. Yeah, I guess maybe he's saying that he was offered to do it. He ended up not taking that, but just saying, you know, I don't know. I'm getting like, hey, he probably had a a vendetta against Bailey and and wanted to get at him somehow. Yeah, that's kind of what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Bailey was sentenced to 30 years in federal prison, but was found not guilty of Helen's alleged murder beyond reasonable doubt. Mm Mm-hmm. He was released July of 2019 at the age of 90, I'm sorry, 89, and has is still maintained his innocence since then. So, mm-hmm. okay, so this is 2022, this, so yeah. he is, he's still alive? I'm assuming, I don't, as of that article, which it was written in 2020, he was still alive, so I don't know if he's passed before then, but that's the most recent I saw of it. Okay. At the time of her disappearance, Helen Brock was 65 years old, 5'10", and weighed roughly 200 pounds. She's described as a Caucasian female with red hair and brown eyes, is last seen wearing a full-length fur coat. <laughs> Pictures of Helen can be accessed on Charlie Project, and if you have any information on Helen's disappearance, you can contact the Glenview Police Department at 847-729-5000. And as always, our sources uh, will be listed in our show notes, and you can uh, follow us on Instagram at Small Town Missing. And we uh, would appreciate it if you guys would rate and comment and, yeah. uh, and just let us know what you think. Exactly. Thomas, what do you think? Who, who do you think is the more likely suspect? Do you think Richard Bailey or do you think, well, how do you pronounce it, Rhonda Mitwick? What's his name? Matt uh, Matlick. Matlick. There you go. Definitely think, Matlick. You think Matlick? It just seems like it to me. Well, yeah, because I think, too, like in another article, I don't I don't think I mentioned it in the source notes, but I think um, Bailey was actually, at the time that he was supposedly going to meet Helen at, like, Fort Lauderdale, or wherever he was going to meet her, um, he had said that, oh, yeah, like, uh, he was with, like, another girl at another hotel. And so, I don't know, it, it seems to me that Matlick just had, he was the last person to 
theoretically see her. So I just feel like he had something to do with it. Well, it's just such a shame. These people take advantage of her. Yeah. I mean, that's sad. And she does seem like she's a strong woman, though. Like, she was going to, you know, I think she was going to try to take matters into her own hands and maybe just before, you know, she could, you know. Things that, happen. Yeah, things happen. Mm-hmm. So it is sad. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like that's one of those things. I wish they could go investigate that farm a little bit more. Yeah. I wonder how big it is, though. You know how many acres that thing would probably be? Where where, where would they even start, honestly, if they think sure. she's buried somewhere over there? Yeah. I mean, at this point, they would have, you know, after all these years, what what would you have to start with mm-hmm. to go on? Exactly. But, uh, yeah, it is a shame, and um, it's a shame that she still hasn't been found. And the comment about the money being divided up and— yeah. And I don't know. I mean, this is all all obviously alleged yeah. that no one tried to to find her or anything. Yeah, it, it, it does seem. I'm assuming because they opened, they reopened the case in like 1989. Like I don't know if it's still like an ongoing case at this point. Like I, I would assume a lot of. I mean, they better hurry because I mean Richard Bailey probably doesn't have that many more years left in him. I hate to say that, but he is what 80. Well, actually, he was 89 when he was released in 2019. So he's probably what 92 ish right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, uh, it seems like he. 93. Yeah. Like, and, and it's weird because I don't know. He's never, you know, he's always maintained his innocence. So who's to say? I think both of them could be suspects, but um, we'll never, who, I hope we find out, but we may never know. No. Interesting case, Will. I liked it. I said, but Ron, yeah. I'm excited for your case next week, too. All right, guys. We'll catch you next time. Hope you enjoy. Uh, like, comment, subscribe. Give us some hints. Give us some suggestions. And. I think that's it. Until next week.